Hello and welcome to Africa Business News. On the show today, we take a look at what's been making headlines and we check in on market performances across the continent. Today, honing in on Africa's investment case right now. That's with Roy Mutuni from APSA Asset Management. But first, let's check in on your top stories. Sub-Saharan Africa's growth prospects have brightened thanks to rising commodity prices. The World Bank expects the region to register an expansion of 3.1% this year and says growth should pick up to 3.7% by 2020. The forecasts are based on stable oil and metal prices as well as robust expansion in global trade. The bank says the region's main risk to growth is the possibility of a collapse in commodity prices, which would undermine fiscal consolidation efforts and derail progress made in reining in the region's debt. Kenya could scrap or tweak its interest rate cap law. That's according to its president, Uhuru Kenyatta. The country capped commercial lending rates back in 2016 to four percentage points above the central bank's benchmark rate. That was in a bid to limit the cost of borrowing and assist small traders in securing capital at affordable rates. But credit for small and medium enterprises has dried up, with lenders saying they cannot properly price risk with the cap in place. As such, National Assembly and stakeholders have been tasked to investigate whether the cap should be removed or whether there is room to adjust it. Zimbabwe's proposed listing plans for miners may have some buy-in. South Africa's Morty Group will consider selling some shares in its Zimbabwean operations if the government pushes ahead with the proposal to compel miners to list on the local bourse. The company, whose main focus is mining technology and resource beneficiation, has told Bloomberg that it's willing to discuss listing plans if it makes business sense and says its African chrome fields would be an attractive share for money managers and retail investors because of its great returns. But Timothy says it's unlikely that the proposal will be implemented as it would go against Zimbabwe's current efforts to attract investors. The CEO of Africa's largest gold producer is heading to Vedanta Resources. Srinivasan Venkatakrishnan will leave Anglo Gold Ashanti at the end of August after five years at the helm. The move ends a year-long search for a new Vedanta head after the company announced that its CEO, Tom Albanese, was stepping down. Under Venkatakrishnan's leadership, Anglo Gold's reduced its all-in sustaining costs by 16% and cut debt by one-third. Anglogold has launched a search for a new CEO. Nigeria's third largest bank is looking for its Africa units for growth. According to Bloomberg, United Bank for Africa says its operations on the continent will account for half of its earnings over the next three years. UBA has injected more than $100 million in its operations in the Democratic Republic of Congo, Benin, Ivory Coast, and Tanzania to aid expansion and says some of that investment should reflect in income growth this year. The lenders hoping to lift contributions from foreign branches to 50%. That's from 45% seen in 2017. Tanzania's export ban continues to weigh on the country's largest gold producer. Acacia Mining, a unit of Barrick Gold, says its first quarter earnings have nearly halved. That's mainly due to lower output at its flagship mine in the country. Acacia was forced to scale back operations there after Tanzania banned the export of gold concentrates. And that's led to a 45% decline in profit to $44 million. The miner says talks regarding the lifting of the ban 
are still ongoing. Straight after the break, we take a look at some of the market performances across Africa. So don't go away. Welcome back to Africa Business News as we shift focus to the markets and some of the investment merit these markets are boasting right now. Joining me at the desk this evening is Roy Mutuni from APSA Asset Management. Roy, thanks so much for joining us today. So it's been a very quiet week on the markets globally with attention shifting from geopolitical tensions to corporate earnings season and really stateside in particular and with that a lot of the focus now on economic fundamentals has it been much of the same for African markets this week I'd say it's worked out in a pretty similar way because we've also seen some early results Q1 results both in Nigeria and in Egypt both underpinning the fact that we're seeing Africa now joining into the growth into the growth party that we've seen the rest of the world having over the last two years, that it's no longer a time when earnings were declining. We're seeing, we're seeing growth being reaffirmed in these markets. Mm -hmm. Well, we had the IMF mm -hmm. out with its uh, Global Growth Outlook report and uh, saying it expects to uh, see growth tick up to 3.9% both this year and next year globally. Mm -hmm. Let's take a look at expectations as far as sub-Saharan Africa is concerned with, of course, an upswing in commodity prices expected to lend bulk of the support. I think the combination of improved commodity prices, both oil and metals, is supporting this recovery. And as well, we've seen growing global trade. Despite all of the noise that's coming from the U.S., what we've seen over the past one year is that global trade has grown as people invested, produced more, and have started trading together. That's underpinned the growth in sub-Saharan Africa. There's probably two two things you have to look at. First is the recovery in the big economies, Nigeria, South Africa, and Angola. The first two, um, Nigeria and Angola because of the recovery in the oil price. South Africa basically just hit a bottom and has started recovering. That's seen part of the upgrade in the bigger number. But the middle and smaller countries are the ones that have very impressive growth rates in the mid-single digits in the sixes and sevens. So that's places like Senegal, Kenya, Uganda, and Tanzania. Just showing you that it's not just the commodity producers, but also those that import oil that are seeing this sustained growth, growth period starting to come through you now. You touched on the fact that uh, you know, this has seen a cyclical rebound in global trade, and the upsurge has been more pronounced in emerging markets and developing mm -hmm. uh, economies. What risk are you starting to price in, given the rising trade tensions that persist, which the IMF highlighted this week, threatens the entire growth scenario? So so the problem with sub-Saharan African countries is that domestic demand tends to be relatively soft. So what you really need is global demand to grow and for these countries to export into them, whether it's commodities or manufactured goods. So the big risk is that all of this noise around trade brings global trade to a halt which just implies that growth, GDP growth in sub-Saharan Africa begins to slow because domestic demand is not particularly adequate in supporting it. A risk that comes from that is that a lot of these governments have borrowed quite aggressively to support growth and also to 
putting countercyclical policies when economies were quite slow. This debt, both domestic and international, needs to be paid at some stage. So that's a big risk if global trade starts to slow down. In fact, we had the IMF highlighting that 40% of the region's countries are at high risk of debt. So how does that start altering what would seem like a mm -hmm. very good investment case across most of these economies right now? I, th I think I think they're crying. I think they're crying out loud at something that's not a real problem. If you look at debt levels right now, compared to the time when the HIPIC initiative was put in, debt levels are a lot lower. Plus, the income levels of these countries are a lot higher than then. And if you separate it between countries that have used this debt to invest, or at least support countercyclical policies, from those that have largely borrowed money and wasted it, then you'll see that the underlying GDP growth has actually been supported in those countries. We have some countries that are struggling, mm -hmm. and there are individual problems, but Africa as a whole should not, be seen, should not be seen in the aggregate, but should be seen as individual countries. So those countries that have borrowed to invest, those countries that have invested in education, infrastructure, and electricity, will grow their capacity to repay this debt. So we think that it's not yet time to start worrying about excessive debt levels in aggregate. You need to look at individual countries and what they've done with this money. How discerning are investors becoming when mm -hmm. it comes to, uh, you know, really singling out economies and looking at their individual investment cases? Because we know mm -hmm. that, that has been a long-standing problem when it comes to, uh, you know, investments into Africa. Are they taking into consideration that there are categories of debtors to consider here? I think investors are stuck in a quandary. First, global investors are going through this whole search for yield. So anywhere where they see high numbers in terms of um, coupons, they want to put their money in. Um, and at the time of the boom, nobody really cares. They believe that there's always an implicit sovereign guarantee or eventually the IMF will come and bail out people. So, so you're seeing a lot of money coming in and investors not being as discerning. You've seen the Eurobond market increasing quite aggressively. Kenya, Egypt, Nigeria, Senegal, um, Cote d'Ivoire and a few others raising Eurobonds recently. In fact, mm -hmm. this year is probably the best year or the biggest year so far than we've seen in the last 10 years, actually since the Eurobond market opened for African countries. So investors are not being particularly discerning now, but I think people who've had a track record of investing in these markets are definitely raising an eyebrow and are beginning to decide who do we back, where do we go, where, where are the more promising places. While we've got government borrowing on the rise, you've got mm -hmm. private sector in sub-Saharan Africa moving in the opposite direction. Mm -hmm. uh, why is that the case? You know, why is it that private sector isn't borrowing mm -hmm. as much? Is it uh, simply a factor of low confidence levels and uh, you know, us needing to see that turn? And when are you expecting uh, mm -hmm. this kind of activity or lack of activity to, to make a U-turn? That, I think, is the most critical question here. And the answer is not very clear. But I think when you look at it and you split between private sector and government, government borrowing, governments had to borrow and spend when the downturn ha happened because demand was low, confidence was low, nobody was investing. Um, and if they didn't borrow, then what you'd have seen is further GDP declines and great suffering. At the same time, private sector stopped investing because of excess capacity, because of low demand. What you've seen now is people worrying about government borrowing, but the reality is that because the private sector has been deleveraging, 
in aggregate, borrowing has not grown as aggressively. So when you look forward, you're looking for the catalyst for this private sector to start investing again. And that usually is growing capacity utilization, mm -hmm. growing demand. Um, but you question, um, you question whether these things are the real drivers because cost of capital is incredibly low right now. So in a roundabout way, what I would say is that it's a very complicated thing. It's a difficult question to answer, but the two things are working, they're working with each other. Decline, as the government continues, yeah. continues to borrow to support demand, the private sector must be looking and seeing where this demand is coming from and looking for where capacity is um, losing out in the economy and then start investing in that. Absolutely. Well, Roy, let's leave it there. Thanks so mm -hmm. much for having joined us in studio this evening. Of course, Roy Mutuni is with APSA Asset Management. And that's where we leave things with you for this week's episode of Africa Business News. We're back same time, same place next week. From me, Alicia Sekum, and the rest of the team, it's goodbye until then.